You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to conservative conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, in the house on this nice, bright, sunny day here at CR's Northern Command, August 31st, 2017. This is our last podcast for August. Um, wow, this month, I'm telling you, it is probably the biggest, the busiest August recess of my career. So many issues for which there's a need to give a vision as to what is the conservative way of thinking about an issue. What should we be doing? What should we not be doing? <clears throat> not just looking at issues in a vacuum, but looking at them broadly, looking at broad trends, um, and then tying together foreign policy, domestic policy, the courts. Healthcare, we've accomplished so much. Thank God. Um, this month has just been amazing. So many new listeners. This has been a record month for us. Almost, uh, almost 100,000 uh, downloads. We are growing by leaps and bounds. Thank you so much for, for tuning in. And uh, I know why so many of you are starving for the truth. Because you're, you're watching a paralysis. A paralysis of cultural Marxism and false dichotomies put out by the cultural Marxists that has really permeated every Western democracy, but certainly here in America, to the point where the, the right, the so-called right, the fake right, is just doing nothing. Even after we win an election, on issue after issue, all of Obama's policies stayed the same. Last couple of podcasts, we talked about foreign policy, how literally every backwards foreign policy that Obama's has uh, you know, forged during the past eight years is now continuing under Trump. Uh, I'll link to in show notes. We have an article where we put that pen to paper on how it is so backwards. I want to discuss a little bit of that today, but not to get fully into foreign policy today, more to use that to buttress our thesis and then get into the courts and wrap it all together on how the left is using the tactic of the status quo, of fear of instability, fear of the unknown, delegitimizing any opposition, speaking to the morality of their immorality, how that all works to advance their cause even when they lose an election, and how because we have a side that is so morally incoherent and doesn't speak to the morality of our supposed moral views that we all claim to uphold, how it has failed to serve as a counter and why we need a new movement, a new party, and why there is an opportunity for a new movement, a new party. And and that's the thing. I just want to say, you know, I know many of you watch me on Steve Dace's program and he calls me the prophet of lamentation. Um, If you ever want to dampen your day, you go and tune in to me. And I mean, any of you who know me real well and have been with me since the beginning, you'll understand that there's actually a lot of forward thinking, a lot of hope. Part of why I am so devastated about what's going on and I'm so anxious and have a sense of urgency is because I believe it is so bad, it's worse than people think, but at the same time, it doesn't have to be that way. God is providing us with a lot of opportunities politically because the left is so crazy that we could come up the middle 
start a new party, start a new movement, and there's a lot of evidence that that would broadly resonate. And I hope hope to get that a little bit more today, if not today, next week. Um, but we don't have a movement that's willing to take yes for an answer, and that's that's why I'm here to 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 slay the false idols, the false gods of hope in the current Republican Party, in Trump, all of it, it is not working. But what we actually can and should be doing, what we could be doing if we only had a movement. So just to give you a sense, I'm not just here to, to do lamentations. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of need a Jeremiah in order to have an Isaiah and then an Ezekiel and, you know, hope towards a third commonwealth, the third uh, temple, where, you know, we, we could really start a third party, break out of this false dichotomy that we're in. And this is really what I wanted to focus on today. I've noticed a tactic, a growing tactic, where the the swamp, the elites that have taken over every cultural institution in in America, in Western democracies, from media and entertainment to academia, the foundations, and then all the courts, the bureaucracies, and as we spoke about last week, even the military. And they use their control over the status quo to engage in civil disobedience. No, we will not change. So even if their policies are odious, destructive, destabilizing in themselves, have failed on the face of it for years— are often illegal and unconstitutional, it doesn't matter. They'll say, because it's the status quo and it always has a certain power of incumbency, well, what you guys want to do is a conspiracy theory. It's crazy. It's going to be destabilizing. Notice what they're doing with insurance. Obamacare failed beyond belief. But if you don't bail out insurance, it's going to destabilize the market. (laughs) I mean, it is destabilized. Oh, if you don't give money to the Lebanese military weapons, if you pull out of Afghanistan, if you don't get involved in all our dumpster fires, oh my gosh, all hell's going to break loose. Even though hell is breaking loose and we're losing our lives for it in the Middle East and flushing $2 trillion, it doesn't matter. The unknown, they they have the fear of the unknown. And this is what they've convinced Trump to do. He surrounded himself with people. There's not a single conservative left. They go up to him and they, they basically threaten him. You want to get rid of the insurance subsidies? This is what's going to happen. You want to pull out of Afghanistan? Guess what's going to happen? So this is the success, the degree of instability that they create, and they actually use it. They they engage in civil disobedience. They say what what you want to do is illegitimate. Doesn't matter. Illegitimate. And, And we're going to get to the courts in a minute. This is what the courts are doing. The Democrats aren't happy just to disagree with people who disagree with them. They say what you're doing is immoral and illegal, even if what they're doing is immoral and illegal. And that's why the courts come in and say, you know what? It's not just that we believe you should be able to vote without a photo ID. It's not just that we believe that marriage should be redefined, that human sexuality should be redefined, that... um, Every congressional district should be drawn in a way that maximizes the Democrat political advantage, that we want open borders. It's that if you don't do that, it's immoral and illegal and unconstitutional. The Constitution is unconstitutional. 
what the courts, I mean, you're going to see all my writings from today, what the courts are doing on photo ID, what the courts are doing with the districts and what the courts are doing mandating sanctuary cities, not just defending sanctuary cities, but but prosecuting states that want to go after them. You know, we talk about Hurricane Harvey, and I certainly don't want to, um, you know, obviously make light of, of the tragedy, but there's another hurricane foisted upon Texas, and that's the judicial hurricane. We have a judicial hurricane that is destroying the state of texas and that that is just that is just the reality here um many of you i know heard me on mark levin talking last week about what they did to so-called strike down the photo id law but now they're saying it's funny they said last week the federal government can't fight um sanctuary cities now they're saying states can't do it either they have it both both ends of the stick um because they are willing to lie cheat and steal in pursuit of their goals. Yet we don't have a, a conservative movement, a Trump administration, any advisors around him that are willing to delegitimize the other side with the same degree of moral clarity, the same degree of energy, the same tactics, and promote our values that are so much easier to enact with the same conviction. And look, you know, you have Newton's laws of physics that you need an equal and opposing force just to reach an equilibrium to hold an object in, in place, much less to actually advance it forward. It's the same thing in politics. You need an equal and opposing force to actually just you know prevent us from moving backwards, certainly to, to actually move forward. And you know I want to go over a couple things. There's an Axios article out. We'll link to, let me just make a note. I want you guys to see it. How... Um, John Kelly, and by the way, you heard it here first. I told you he is as bad as anyone else. He is now blocking out any out-of-the-box thinking from, from Trump's sphere of influence. And what he's doing is exactly the thesis of this podcast. He is saying that anything beyond the traditional swamp way of thinking about issues, no matter how wrong it is, no matter how failed it is, that's conspiracy thinking, and I have to protect the president from thinking that way. And before I go on, I'm not defending Trump. At some point, the buck stops where he is. He appointed all these people. I mean, you know, many many of the Trump supporters during the primary said everyone else was a was a conservative that that kind of stood by and enjoyed being screwed. Um, it's kind of a vulgar analogy, and I apologize for using it. I just because you know the other side used it so much. Um, gee, that is actually a superlative. Uh, description of the president <laughs> he doesn't have control or sovereignty over his own body over his own presidency over his own office over his own chair in the in the Oval office there so kelly is now blocking out any way of thinking so look at look at what he's doing evidently trump is conflicted on whether to get rid of daca obama's executive amnesty and what kelly is saying is this is destabilizing this is harmful this is illegitimate this is immoral you're not going to do it. Think about it for a moment. There is nothing more illegal or unconstitutional or disruptive or immoral than a president unilaterally sacking immigration law and taking 900,000 individuals and granting them foreign nationals and granting them so social security cards. This is something literally um, Hamilton wrote in the Federalist Papers when he's contrasting the role of a president to the role of a king is that a king may 
uh, what is it? A king, a king can make denizens of aliens. A president may confer no privileges whatsoever. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Nothing is more lawless than Obama's executive amnesty. Yet that has now become the default position. So much so that to just merely get rid of it, to merely restore the rule of law, to merely restore immigration statute, to merely restore our sovereignty, our constitution, that is immoral, lawless, and insane. DACA is like a law now. That's what the left does. They have such chutzpah. They have such temerity, such impertinence that they are willing to just with a straight face take the most immoral things and say they're moral, to take our longstanding laws and say, this is immoral. We're not doing this. And the courts are doing the same thing. No, unconstitutional. And the problem is we're not combating it with an equal and opposing force because we come in and sound all all, all uh, um, guilty about it. First, we legitimize their views. We legitimize their parlance. We call it, well... DACA, as if it's a statute, we don't call it Obama's illegal and constitutional executive amnesty. Then we say, well, should we get rid of it? Should we not? Well, you know, there's no such thing as lukewarm hell in politics. And once you start legitimizing it, you're working within their framework. You're working within their confines, the confines of the false dichotomy that they put out to you. We legitimize it. And then you look weak and then you strengthen their hand. Same thing we did with Obamacare. We could have come in there January 20th. We ran on this. This is immoral. It's destroying healthcare in America. People are paying mortgage payments, the equivalent of mortgage payments for premiums. Done. Gone. We're going to get the insurance cartel out between you and your doctor instead of empowering them like Obamacare does. Jan- January 20th, done. We could have done that. would have been popular. But then we come in, oh, I don't know, there's legitimacy to what the other side's saying. We always ascribe legitimacy to the illegitimate views of the other side, whereas they will not reckon with our views at all. That's, that's Obamacare, that's DACA. Same thing you're seeing with transgenderism in the military. What could be more immoral, more destructive, more destabilizing in a military during a time of war than the logistical nightmare of implementing transgenderism in the military. Not to mention paying for sex change operations and hormone therapy. Yet the left just, boom, they just did it. Obama just, this is what we're doing. And they jumped into the bath and did it. Now, to merely just suspend that is destabilizing. Oh my gosh, do you know what's going to happen? And they get all the swamp creatures around Trump to, to, to believe in that. And Mattis and Dunford, and they're all just engaging in civil disobedience against Trump. Now, again, you know, it, it could only go as far as Trump lets in and he's letting it happen. And, and this is what the courts are doing. And we're like, oh, it's the law of the land. Whatever the courts say is the law of the land. We legitimize their illegitimacy. They delegitimize our legitimacy. That, that, that's how they work. And just to, to close the loop before we get to the courts on foreign policy, this, this is what's happening. <sighs> there is nothing more insane than coming and telling me we could put Iraq and Afghanistan together and we should own it. We should get involved. We should get our troops killed in their um, 
dumpster fire and we should spend hundreds of billions of dollars rebuilding Baghdad on behalf of the Iranians and Kabul on the half of Islamists. It's, it's nuts. And, it, and it's totally unpopular. But yet, that has become the default. Daniel, we can't do that. Somehow you could say with a straight face, you could do a nutty thing and it's not nutty. But the minute I tell you, here's what we should be doing in the Middle East. We should be supporting an independent Kurdistan, maybe if not in Iran, Turkey, and Syria, but that northern Iraq component. We're nuts. That's destabilizing. The minute I tell you we should fully support Taiwan as a hedge against China, as leverage against them, as a way of dealing with North Korea, that's nuts. You know, to this day, the Taiwanese diplomats, and they're so pro-America, they're they're such a good ally, um, homogenous, clean play we can make that's that's, a—and— it doesn't cost us anything to support them or maybe a little bit of aid. I mean, it doesn't cost us anything to support the Kurds. The Kurds, Iraq is a, is a no-win situation. It's either the Sunni Islamists or the Iranian Shia militias, Hezbollah, the IRGC. We are fighting, we are taking ground on behalf of the IRGC. We are fighting for the Iranians. We are fighting for them in Syria. And by the way, isn't it funny? People are saying it's a conspiracy theory. These, these, these are what the generals say to say that if you give weapons to the Lebanese, it's going to go into the hands of Hezbollah and IRGC. Well, the New York Times reported that the Lebanese military is working with Hezbollah, um, actually bailing out ISIS, ironically, uh, driving them to to the Syrian-Iraq border. But everything we say is a conspiracy theory, even though it's common sense. But think about this. The, The Kurds are holding ground in northern Iraq now. They have a military. They have a stable, you know, relatively stable civil society that's non-Islamist, that's, that could hold ground. And now they're at, on the cusp of holding even more ground than they held before. From, you know, now that they took away ISIS, they have the ability to take some of northern Sunni Iraq that, that wasn't held by the Kurds, but does have somewhat of a Kurdish population. Let them do it! It doesn't cost us anything. Just recognize it. And give them aid. But yet we're allowing Baghdad to hold up the weapons. Because we don't want to tick off Baghdad. Screw it. Screw Baghdad. Baghdad's an enemy. We're treating our allies like enemies and our enemies like allies. We're spending hundreds of billions of dollars supporting the Iranians in Baghdad. The bastards in Kabul. Um, and, and there's nothing to hold together even if you wanted to support them because it's a multiple civil war. We're wasting our money and our lives and, and killing our troops there. We're giving hundreds of billions of weapons to the Saudis. We're bailing out Qatar. We're supporting Turkey. And yet, all we have to do is support Sisi, support the Kurds, and then in, you know to move on beyond the um, Middle East, the Taiwanese is a great leverage against China and North Korea. And yet, that is that type of thinking. They they will tell that is illegitimate. That is immoral. That's destabilizing. Daniel, we can't do that. They could destabilize the Middle East beyond belief for 16, 17 years, and that's okay because they are so confident in their immoral beliefs. Our side is so diffident in our common sense moral beliefs. We don't have people positing the right things to do and the few people who do it do it half halfway they don't have enough backing and then they just get mowed down 
by those who say, who held hold us hostage. No, we're not going to do this. The military leadership, the bu- bureaucratic leaders, this is illeg- illegitimate. This is not an option on the menu. The only option is the false dichotomy we present you. And, and that's how we have a paralysis where we now have a Republican Party and a conservative movement that will not do anything. They're so paralyzed by the false dichotomy because they don't want to punch outside of it, break outside of the paradigm, offer new ideas and tactics to support the same same uh, um, timeless principles. And, you know, because a, a, a number of the voters are sick of it, that's where you have the appeal of the alt right. They're saying this whole thing has failed. So now they're, you know, they're positing new, uh, advancing new principles, which are foreign, you know, some of them, but that that's a false choice. We don't have to be doing this. And, and, and the thing is, all of the issues that I am promoting, they're no brainers. The people are with us. It's, it's the swamp stuff that's unpopular. The polls show this on issue after issue. There's a couple of things that because of education and dependency in this country that they're, you know, it's it's tough sell. I, th- I think it's a tough sell to get rid of Head Start, some of the entitlements. But there's so many things that we can do. Really? Afghanistan? It's so unpopular. Iraq? Support the Kurds. It doesn't cost us a, a civil war. It doesn't cost us hundreds of billions of dollars, maybe just, a, you know, a couple hundred million doesn't cost us the loss of our lives. We don't have to leave. They have a military. They're holding the ground. Just let them take it. They could hold that together. Not the whole Iraq, but at least the part that they can. Let's hold it. The same vermin, swamp people that will say, posit the immoral, ludicrous idea that is a geographical and geopolitical impossibility of the two-state solution in Israel will not entertain the two-state solution in Iraq when it's already there. Because this is how they work. This is how they work. And, and, And what they do is they make their policies the status quo in a way that it's almost like you have to go along with their policies because Daniel... If we do what you're going to do, it will be destabilizing. Let me give you a perfect example of how the generals and the foreign policy establishment, how they engage in the civil disobedience and are able to perpetuate the racket by threatening um, instability, threatening a juggernaut if we want to change the, the paradigm. So one of the things they say is, well, Daniel, you can't be mean to Erdogan and Turkey. We have our bases there. We have our bases in Qatar. It's going to destabilize you. You can't support a Kurdistan because what are you going to do about our military bases? Now, here's the irony. Why do we need our military bases for the most? Now, now I'm, I'm going to have a solution to that in a minute. I'll tell you about that, what we should be doing. Instead, we do need some sort of military base. But why do we need so many military bases to such an extent and such a sense of urgency? Because of the stupid Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria dumpster fires that they're getting us involved in to not not only not create more stability, but to make things worse and empower all of our enemies. We're told that we have to, we're going to die if we don't put Afghanistan together. And therefore, we need our basis for Afghanistan. But yet the more important play 
to make that will create more stability that it's more in our national interest is to use soft power against Qatar and Turkey because that's where the the funding is. That's where the instigation is. That's where the promoting the Muslim Brotherhood and the insurrection, the subversion on on our shores is because it's all about homeland security. That's what we should be doing. Oh, but Daniel, we can't do the right thing that costs us less and that will promote our national security more because we need the basis to be promoting things that will deplete our resources and resolve on Islamic civil war dumpster fires. So now we don't have the resources and resolve to deal with Iran and North Korea when we could totally deal with that militarily. Whereas you can't deal with Islamic civil wars militarily because the problem is Islam. Nor should it be our problem anyway. That's what they do. They'll say, well, what are you going to do about our bases? And the answer is very simple. You create a Kurdistan and you put your bases in Kurdistan. You put your Qatari bases instead of Qatar, move it a little north to Kurdistan. What about Turkey? What about Turkey? Yeah, Do you ever think of Eastern Europe? We have a number of good Eastern European allies. Bulgaria, Romania. I mean, Bulgaria, is you're just going to be putting our planes maybe a couple hundred miles back. Bulgaria is right near Inserlik, Turkey, which is where our main base is. Um, so, you you know, you'll, your bombers will still be within range, your supply lines and everything. Um, to my knowledge, it, it will still, it, you know, and, and the good thing about that is you're killing two birds with one stone. If you remember, part of why we have our nu- our you know, a big problem is not just the base. We have some of our nuclear triad in um, Inserlik. A lot of that is a throwback to the Cold War as a um, deterrent against Russia. The irony is you could have your cake and eat it too, um, have your bases to deal with whatever legitimate Middle East stuff we should be doing, not the dumpster fire stuff we're doing, but put them in the Eastern European countries that are beleaguered by the Russian hegemony in the area. So you're, you're kind of sending a signal to Russia as well. Kill two birds with one stone there. And, and this is a broader part of the, our, my, my point. We need to create a coalition of freedom. Pull out of the UN. Abolish the UN. And we need to go with the people that support us. Have Israel, Sisi, um, Kurdistan, Taiwan, and all the Eastern European allies and any English-speaking countries that will want to join with us. And you know what? You'll have many other countries that are on the fence now because there's no leadership in the world. You know, they're going to go to Putin. They're going to go to Russia. They're going to go to other people. They're going to want to do the right thing, and they're going to join us. You step outside the paradigm. Now, if you would say this stuff, it is, again, the bureaucrats will engage in civil disobedience. Because we don't have a president who, who has the resolve, the values, the intellect, and the advisors who have the same that are willing to stand up to it and say, no, we're going to do this anyway. You go ahead and you do it. You pull out of the UN. You don't be guilty that you speak to the morality. They are anti-Semitic. They are pro-Islamic. They support tyranny. They don't support freedom. They're corrupt as hell. It's illegitimate. We are going to create a moral group to do good in the world. You turn the do-gooder rhetoric on its head. We don't have people speaking to this. And I can tell you, this is a much easier thing to achieve than anything they want to achieve, and it's more politically feasible. Not among the political class. <laughs> They'll t- Daniel, we can never do that. Really? Try pulling it. Ask people, should we stay in the UN or should we create a group of those of, of Western allies 
that are against terrorism and, and support freedom and human rights. See how that would pull. But we pull their messaging. We pull their false dichotomies. And imagine if we had such a coalition. We wouldn't need to spend all the money we're spending and the resources doing nonsensical things. The dominoes would fall. The choices would become clearer. But there's no initiative anymore. And I want to close by going to the courts. Similar thing. What the left is doing is they're now taking their political arguments and they're making them not just moral arguments, but legal and constitutional arguments. As you know, I wrote my book, Stolen Sovereignty, because I felt that there is no greater constitutional crisis than the the degree of judicial supremacy that we have going on right now. What the courts are doing to our constitution and the perception, the misconception of the court's power that they indeed have such power to even do what they're doing. It is the biggest constitutional crisis because pick your 10 favorite things you want to do, common sense, and the courts will throw out, not that they have the power to throw it out, but we give them that regard. They will throw out everything we want to do, and that's what they're doing. Part of why you don't even see it more, and by the way, it's happening every day. I just don't have time to write about it. It's all the regulations, the deregulation Trump's doing is now in court. Um, The the transgender stuff in the military, they're going to mandate transgenderism in the military, whether it's social whether it's military, whether it's foreign policy, whether it's national security, whether it's homeland security, whether it's immigration, they have taken it over. There is nothing that even, forget about the Supreme Court, even a district judge, an institution created by Congress, not the Constitution, there's nothing they cannot do and have that regarded as the law of the land by the political class, including the so-called failed conservative legal movement. But part of why you don't see it is because Republicans are pathetic, and both in Congress and in the state legislatures, they're not doing anything. So, you know, there, there's nothing mu- much to th- strike down. But the few things that states like Texas are doing, voter I- ID, proper districts, um, you know, and all this stuff on immigration enforcement, it is gone, 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 gone. Elections are meaningless until we stop listening to the courts and regard until we use the states and the other two branches to fight back. And I write in my articles how that could be done. The courts are not the law of the land. Judicial review, even if you agree with it, which is it's kind of a dubious notion. It is not judicial supremacy and judicial exclusivity. It just means that they could use their powers to adjudicate individual cases and controversies and render an opinion on that case to interpret the constitution the way they seem fit. But how much more so every, and part of that is because they swear an oath to the constitution. That's what Marshall said in Marbury versus Madison. How much more so state governors and state legislators and congressmen and executive branch officials who swear the same oath to the constitution and have the power of the purse, the power of implementation and power, power to, um, uh, to, uh, um, legislate the power to enforce laws how much more so they are required to only use their powers in in concert with the Constitution. And when the courts render an opinion that flips the Constitution, that flips state and federal sovereignty, that flips the, uh, the Declaration of Independence, the social compact, the social contract, natural law, God's law on its head, how much more so you have an obligation 
to use your oath of office to God into the Constitution to follow God's law in the Constitution. And that, that is why I am so into Judge Rory Moore, because he is the one man who actually did this. If everyone else would push back against the courts the way he did, and in a united way, he wouldn't be left out to dry. He was the only one doing it. But if you have Greg Abbott and um, Lieutenant Governor Ken Paxton, Attorney General, the state legislature say, no, we will not do this. We will continue enforcing the law. This, this will end. I mean, this is how bankrupt the courts are. This judge, Orlando Garcia, who has his own agenda there, it's the same judge who redefined marriage years ago. He threw out their their, their legislative districts. And by the way, um, Alito, to his credit, just put a stay on that injunction, rebuked him. Um, photo ID, whatever it is. They are codifying their racial agenda into the law. So even if their jurisprudence will be contradictory, they will go for whatever political outcome it is. So I've written two articles on this, um, where Scalia honed in on this, uh, but but also what happened last night with what they did by striking down, so to speak, Texas's sanctuary city law. What the courts are doing on immigration is a national emergency. And this is why I wrote my book, like I said, Stolen Sovereignty. They are stealing our sovereignty. They are stealing our birthright, our legacy, our private our our private property as a, as a civil society, as a social compact. They are allowing illegal aliens to come in here, bestow, unilaterally assert jurisdiction, bestow rights upon them, allow them to sue anyone who enforces federal law enforces our sovereignty, criminalize the people supporting the law, uh, uphold and champion the people subverting them, allow them to vote by getting driver's licenses through the back, back backhanded, allow them to count in the census so that they could affect the number of districts that blue areas and blue states have, meaning either blue states like California or blue areas within Texas. Texas is very polarized. On net, it's a red state, but keep in mind all the urban areas, they, they have bigger districts because of the illegals that are populating it. And now they have the power to perpetuate their power through the courts. And the forgotten man, the American citizen, is left as a stranger in his own land. Folks, thanks to the courts and illegal immigration, we are strangers in our own land. It's as if we are we are being judicially raped with nothing that we can do about it. And there is something we can do about it, but the political class on the right, the pseudo-right, will not do anything about it. Um, what, what's, an un, what's an unalienable right? What's natural law? What's God's law? They repudiate as racist. What is the antithesis of a natural right, of a fundamental right, of the Bill of Rights? They enshrine into the Constitution. What's a federal power? They make a state power. What's a state power? They make a federal power, and they'll contradict themselves in different ways to achieve the same outcome. You cannot get, you cannot conjure up a worse nightmare than the current judiciary we have, because they are engaging in civil disobedience. So, whenever a state wants to enforce federal law, like in Arizona, not not subvert it. Just complement it, either add on to it, or pretty much just enforce it. They say, preemption, supremacy clause. You're preempted by federal law. But when a, when a state or a locality wants to subvert 
immigration law. Directly subverted. Totally subverted. Violate 8 USC, you know, section 1373 that explicitly bars any federal, state, or local government official from not cooperating or undermining immigration enforcement. They say, we're a sanctuary. We will not cooperate with federal authorities. We will not cooperate with ICE. Not only do the courts bless that, they mandate it. They actually, this same judge, um, so it's funny, he says, state governments can't enforce federal law. You can't clamp down on sanctuary cities. But then they say the federal government can't clamp down on sanctuary cities. And then they say the federal government cannot issue detainers. They say ICE detainers are unconstitutional. They side with the sanctuary cities. I mean, think about this for a moment. Courts are now saying states and localities can thwart federal immigration law. Meanwhile, states have to obey every illegitimate federal power that's not in the enumerated powers, but they can thwart thwart federal immigration law. States can enforce federal states cannot enforce federal immigration law. The federal government cannot enforce federal immigration law against sanctuary cities. And now even states cannot enforce federal immigration laws against sanctuary cities. So they, you know, they have this whole BS thing that, well, the federal government can't commandeer states. They can't abuse their spending clause power to commandeer states by threatening them with cut out, uh, funds, cut, you know, to cut, cut off funds if they don't obey immigration law. It's BS and whatever. We can get to that at a different point. But now they're saying, okay, fine. So now states will do it. So states will clamp down on localities. Nope. You you can't commandeer localities. Could you imagine that? The courts say that the federal government has the power to do everything under the sun. They could coerce you to buy the insurance cartel's private product. There's nothing the federal government cannot do. But the one thing that is manifestly the job to protect the sovereignty and security of our civil society, to ensure that there's no invasion an area of law that the courts said for 200 years that the political branches have to decide it because that is rooted in sovereignty and the courts have no ability to even second guess it, to look into it. Those same courts are now saying, nope, the courts control immigration and illegal aliens win either way, whether it's a state issue, a federal issue, doesn't matter. They are engaging in civil disobedience. They are engaged because they view what we do as illegitimate. What we do is completely illegitimate. There is no, there's just, there's no morality to what we do in their eyes. It's time for a movement that turns the tables on them. You know, the answer lies in what in two quotes I want to give to you. I, I mentioned in my um, my article here. Alexander Hamilton wrote in Federalist Thirty Three about usurpations when the federal government usurps the states. And, and, when, and by the way, he was talking about legitimate statute, meaning even when Congress passes a law, President signs into law, and it's completely illegitimate. In other words, let's say they let's say they pass a law to say states have to recognize gay marriage. Now, of course, he could never have thought of that, but let's say they do that. 
those acts are, quote, merely acts of usurpation and will deserve to be treated as such. Yet now we have courts, unelected federal branch, the weakest federal branch, that is in itself nullifying longstanding federal law and enforcing upon the states. And we're told that's the law of the land. You know, a lot of people are going to say, Daniel, are you saying we should engage in nullification? Say, I have never advocated we should disagree with a single federal law. The courts are doing that. The courts are the ones doing that. They are nullifying not, you know, not just um, law, but case law too, precedent. Because they, it's stare decisis is one directional. They could always move it, you know, in the goal, in, in the direction they want. And um, no, we should respond in kind. The second quote, 20 years ago, when, when the courts were a fraction of, of how decadent they are today, before all the illegal alien supremacism, before codifying their racial dis- disparate impact agenda into the most devastating areas of, of law, before transgenderism, before the redefinition of marriage. Here's what Robert Bork said about what he was seeing about the courts. To the objection that a rejection of a court's authority would be civil disobedience. The answer is that a court that issues orders without authority engages in an equally dangerous form of civil disobedience. They are the ones engaging in civil disobedience. They are the ones engaging in nullification. We need a movement and a party to speak that. The problem is we don't. We have a movement that is hypocritical. They're mealy-mouthed, and they don't have the moral clarity, intellectual clarity, to win an argument on this, which is why we need a movement that will. You know, I'm going to link to in show notes Nate Silver, who's a liberal um, political analyst, but he's somewhat intellectual honest because he's more of a political prognosticator than a policy guy, um, even though he's a liberal. He has a podcast out, and you know it's it's a little bit hard to read because it's a transcript, but I'm I'm going to link to it, where he says, you you know, the the political elites, including all my conservative friend and colleagues, like Daniel, a third party will never work. He actually says. A third party could absolutely work in 2020. And it's not the third party that the elites think, the hick and pooper Kasich type, like the pseudo moderate where they're really a bunch of leftist swamp creatures. He says it is a coalition of people who want to fight cultural Marxism. And that's that's basically the summation of everything we've described here, described in this podcast. You know, there's this there's a saying that um, a lot of the people in these pseudo think tanks on the right think, well, I think where the country is, is that they're socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Now, obviously, when they say fiscally conservative, they mean like um, their version, like Chamber of Commerce, fiscal conservatism, which is, you know, crony capitalism, venture socialism. Um, (laughs) It's not it's not like they're fiscally conservative. Uh, They think fiscal conservatism is to bail out Obamacare. Um, and not, and to raise the debt ceiling indefinitely and not to cut spending at all. That's, that's what fiscal can do. No, I think the country is where we are. It's, it's fiscal, social, national security. It's not really three legs. It all ties into cultural Marxism. Most of the country is against this. And this is the blessing. 
Because the left is so evil, because they are so immoral, because they are so radical, because they're engaging in civil disobedience, because Antifa represents not a fringe, but the mainstream of what the Democrat Party and the Democrat donors stand for. The people are not yet where they are. I have hope. It doesn't have to be this way. There's an opportunity. I will. I, will, I promise you. I will work to start to to help start this new party. Hopefully, it will be the Federalist Party. If that doesn't work out, something else. To field a presidential ticket in 2020, because that's all you need. Everything will flow down there, rather than trying to do this bottom up one race after another. We'll never. We'll never get there. Field a presidential candidate that could speak to the morality of these views. Talk about getting out of the UN. Talk. I mean, a lot of what Trump really said, but we knew he would never do. But without the dumpster fire, without the incoherence, without all the baggage, to actually speak to it and actually be willing to do it and get in there and not hesitate. You know, God commanded the Jews when they got into Israel, don't hesitate. You know, what did Moses and God always tell Joshua? Don't waver. Don't hesitate. Be strong. The, the original term, thorn in the side, came from when God told them to clear out all your enemies. They're pagans. They're vicious. They're, they, they torture. They throw their kids into fire. Don't hesitate by killing them because they will be a thorn in your side. And eventually that was their downfall um, because not only did they keep them and they attacked them physically, they also attacked them spiritually. And um, there's, the Israelites latched on to the idolatry. But don't waver. There's no such thing as lukewarm hell. It looks like what you're doing is instability, but it's not. It's common sense. You know it's right. You believe in it. Do it. Pull out of the UN. Support Kurdistan. Support Taiwan. Support our allies. Don't support dumpster fires. Get out of it. Change our paradigm. Change the way we view healthcare in America. Have direct payments from from consumers to, to doctors. Cut out the insurance cartel. We're going to talk about how we could fix our taxes taxes, healthcare, and our economy in one shot by getting rid of the employer subsidy for health insurance cartel and remitting that $300 billion tax subsidy back in the form of across the board broad-based tax cut. We're talking about a lot of taxes, healthcare in the coming weeks, a lot of domestic policies we're going to move on to. We're not going to have time to discuss some of this culture of Marxism, but that's how, that's what we can do. It's achievable. I don't believe we have to have transgenderism. I don't believe that's where most people are. I don't believe we have to have illegal aliens. I don't believe we have to not have photo ID. I don't believe we have to count illegals in the census. I don't believe we have to have stolen sovereignty. If only we had a movement that articulated this, that spoke to the not just the intellect, we certainly need that, which we don't have, but the heart the morality of our views and the immorality of their views, just like they do to such a high degree of success. In order to do this, I need you guys to support our sponsors. I need you guys to support our partner, CRTV. Um, this is the only TV channel where you're going to see at least some of this from Mark Levin and Steve Dace and others, Michelle Malkin. Promo code Horowitz, you get $10 off, full year subscription also. With all the natural disasters coming up, peak hurricane season, um, or just all the insurrection, you don't want to be caught in your house for a week with no food. 
Go to Patriot Supply, which is at preparewithcr.com, preparewithcr.com. Get your 140 meals, four-week supply for just 99 bucks. It will be in your house for whenever you need it. Delicious meals. Um, and they're actually conservative too, so support them. And we're going to have other sponsors, God willing, in the coming weeks and months so we could continue giving you the truth. Thank you for listening as always. God bless. Enjoy your holiday weekend. We'll be back next week in the thick of things when the critters return. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.